0: Hello, church family, and thank you once again for joining us, uh, for connecting with us. It's such a privilege and an honor for us to come into your home, to be a blessing to you. I pray that I will be able to convey what God has placed in my heart. You know, years ago, uh, when I was growing up, I had a Sunday school teacher who challenged us to read the entire Old Testament. Well, I not only read the entire Old Testament, but I read it in two days. And One of the favorite stories in the Old Testament is found in Daniel chapter So I'm going to invite you to open up your Bibles to Daniel chapter 3 if you follow along with me. But before we get started, uh, what do you say we pray and ask God that he would bless us? Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you and we thank you, Lord, for giving us this opportunity of being here. We thank you, Lord, for the lives, God, that are going to be touched through this message, through your word. God, we ask, Lord, that this word come alive in our hearts and our minds, God, that you would bless, that you would go right through that screen and transcend. God, and and bless each and every one who is hearing your word, God. I pray that you anoint my lips of clay. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. And as the pastor says, amen, praise God. You know, in the year 586, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, attacked the little nation of Israel. He overran it. He deported some of its population to Babylon as captives. And among these captives were four young men. There was Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these young men decided that even though they were hundreds of miles away from home, living in a pagan, idolatrous, immoral city, that they were going to live for God. You know, they agreed that they would not compromise their faith, that they would put God first no matter what the cost. You know, as Christians, we need to put God first. The Bible says to seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything else shall be added unto you. You know, it's very important for us. The most important thing is to put God first. And some of you have not put God first. You have compromised with sin. You have watered down your con- convictions. You have diluted your principles. You have followed the course of least resistance. You have gone with the crowd. And I want you to know that you cannot do that, not even once, without paying for it. You know, every time you compromise your Christian principles, your character is diminished. Our sins have a way of catching up with us. If you'll remember the story of King Saul, the day that God told him to battle the Amicalites. And to totally destroy them. Well, Saul thought that he was wiser than God. If you're familiar with the story, you know that that he brought the king into the palace. And when Samuel came in, Samuel asked Saul what was going on. And Saul gave him a plethora of excuses. And if you're familiar with the story, Samuel beat to death this king. You know, Saul compromised God's command and allowed the Amalekites to escape. Years passed and Saul tried to take his own life. And the Bible says that he is wounded in the field of Gilboa. He is in agony. And he called to a man and said, Stand upon me and slay me. And the man Saul addressed, reported back to David. And he said, So I stood upon him and slew him. And I took the crown that was upon his head and bracelet." that was on his arm. And you can read the story in Second Samuel chapter 1 verse 10. Well, this man was an Amicalite. This is the natural history of sin. One day it comes back to stand upon us and utterly destroy us. And that's what sin does. Sin is like cancer. Slowly but surely it begins to take a hold of our lives until it absolutely destroys us. You know, when From the very beginning when Adam and Eve sinned, the Bible says that they died spiritually. They didn't die physically, but they died spiritually because they were separated from God. You know, these three young men, they agreed that they would not compromise our faith. And as we think about their steadfastness, there are several things that I want us to see in Daniel chapter 3. And the first thing I want us to see is the dedication. Look at verse 1. Now, when I speak of the dedication, we are talking about the dedication of Nebuchadnezzar's image. You know, one day, Nebuchadnezzar got an idea. One of his advisors probably talked him into it, and he said, Hey, Neb, why don't you build a statue to yourself and and make the world worship your statue? Well, Nebuchadnezzar liked the idea. In fact, he liked the idea so much that the Bible says he built a golden image. And his image was three score cubics high, 60 cubics high. Now, do you remember what a cubit is? It's the distance between your elbow and your fingertips. It's generally about 18 inches for an adult. So, this statue was about 90 feet high. And the Bible says it was six cubics wide. That is, it was about nine feet wide. Now, listen, I believe that the, the Bible is an example of God's economy. I, I do not believe that God put anything in this, in this book for a, the purpose of just filling space. Every word, every statement, every name, every mountain, and every river has a significance. The image that Nebuchadnezzar built was not 59 cubics high or 61 cubics high, it was 60 cubics high. It was not four cubits wide or ten cubits wide. It was six cubits wide. Now in the scripture, six is the number of man. Seven is God's number. The perfect number in the Bible. Six stops short of seven. Therefore, it's imperfect. Seven is the number of God's completeness. Six is the number of human incompleteness. Man was created in the sixth day of creation. The Bible says that God rested on the seventh day. And when we read Revelation chapter 13 verse 18, we read that the number of the beast is 603 score and six, which adds up to six, six, six. Now the Bible clearly states that this is the number of man. You know, Nebuchadnezzar did not know that he was erecting an image image that measured up to the prophetic side, 60 cubits tall and 6 cubits wide. He did not know that this image was a type of beast who will appear at the end of the age. He did not know that this image was a type of the Antichrist. He did not know that this gigantic statue of gold was a symbol of prophecy and that one day a greater one than he would cause the image to speak and that all would be killed who did not worship the beast and the image. You know, this thing in Daniel chapter three is rich in prophecy, but we can't dwell on it. So let's go on. Look at verse two. You know, Nebuchadnezzar built his image and he brought the lords and the ladies and the kings and the presidents and the military leaders from many countries of the world to see it. And then they had a dedication ceremony. And I wish I could see this scenario today. You know what a colorful sight it must have been. Orchestras playing, trumpets were sounding. The heralds made the announcement. He commanded all to fall down in worship and declare that all who refused to do so would immediately be cast into a flaming furnace and be put to death. Look at the decree. Now, in order to understand this decree, look at verse 4 and 5 in our text. The cry rang aloud throughout the plain. To you it's commanded, O people, nations, languages. Everybody was commanded. Everybody was there. Oh, what a crowd. What a mass of humanity. The herald cried out. At what time you hear the sound of the cornet, the flute, the harp... You fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar, the king, has set up. You know, throughout history, false religion has never hesitated to use force or coercion. You know, in the days of the Roman Empire, the emperors demanded the worship of his people. During the times of the Genesis or the beginning of the church, the church was persecuted once a year uh, Everybody was required to bow and to declare that Caesar was Lord. Well, the Christians had a problem with this because they declared that only God, only Jesus was Lord. So they were persecuted. And the Bible warns that as we approach the end of the age and the Antichrist makes his appearance, a great world religion will force men to bow down and to worship the beast. You know, demon power in these days will intensify will intensify and cause a worldwide lawlessness and rebellion against God. But ultimately, the world belongs to Christ. He will one day rule as king of kings and Lord of Lords. But God had a plan for Jesus to first go to the cross, to die for our sins, and to take our place. What a blessing. You know, the devil tried to offer Jesus an easy way. On the Mount of Temptation, the devil offered Jesus the whole world if he would just bow down to worship him. You know, that's precisely what the devil is saying to many people today. The devil is saying, follow me. Serve me. Go my way. I will give you the world. And you know what? For a while, He does give you the world, its desires, and its pleasure. But let me tell you that it is only for a short time. Then it's all over. Satan doesn't tell you the rest of the story. He doesn't tell you that at the end of the road, there is destruction, and there is judgment, and yes, there is hell. You know, He doesn't reveal the whole truth. You know, He holds all these trinkets and bandles and and, and exquisite delights, and He says to you, it's all yours if you'll just worship me. Have your fling. Get your thrills. Have your way. The, Bible, the, the devil will tell you the Bible is wrong. You're not going to die. You, you won't get caught. Nothing's going to happen to you. That's what the devil wants to whisper in your ear. Well, let me tell you that the devil is a liar. He has 6,000 years of lying. The Bible says that there is no truth in him. And I want to say something to our youth and to our young adults who are listening to us. You know, you are the devil's chief target. He wants you. You know, when Hitler decided to rule the world and make Germany the world power, you know, he started with the youth movement. Mussolini did the same thing in Italy. Stalin did the same thing in Russia. Mao did the same thing in China. And we are seeing a big youth movement today. You know, the devil knows if he can get the young people of our day to bow the knee to his image or to this world, he has successfully wiped out the Christian church in a single generation. Now look at the defiance. Now we're thinking here about the defiance of these three young Hebrews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were on the horns of dilemma. They wondered, should they obey the king and fall down and worship this false god? Or should they, should they be willing to go to the furnace and die for their, their faith that very hour? Now, Nebuchadnezzar was, Nebuchadnezzar's warning was no empty threat. It was a sentence in harmony with, with the character and the practice of the ferocious cruel king. And when you have time, look at Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 21 to 22. These three young men knew that Nebuchadnezzar meant business. What could they do? They stood there as the command was given. Should they bow? Should they try to please everybody? Could they please God on one hand and the devil on the other hand? Well, let me tell you, you cannot do that. The Bible says that you cannot serve two masters. Either you serve God or you serve the devil. You cannot go to church on Sunday morning and worship the Lord and go to the nightclub Sunday night. You are either serving God or you are serving the devil. Now, if these three young men had bowed their heads, bowed their heads, There's no doubt that they could have avoided trouble. They could have said, oh, well, it's it's just a matter of form. It's It's a formality. After all, religion has to do with the heart. You ever hear that? God knows we are inwardly true to him. We can bow down on the outside while inwardly we can keep our faith. You ever hear that? I do. But you know, Jesus said you can't do that. He said, Whosoever denies me before men, him I also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. You see, it's very important that we take a public stand for Jesus. He doesn't grant us the privilege of being secret believers. I have met some who who profess to be believers and they say, yes, I'm a Christian, but I don't broadcast it. I don't talk about it because religion is a very personal thing. I try to keep it to myself. You know, I pity those dear folks. They are so wrong. You know, the Bible says, let the redeem of the Lord say so. Let the whole world know that you belong to Jesus Christ. Let the whole world know that you are a new creation. Let the whole world know that Christ died for your sins. Let the whole world know who you belong to. You know, it's not enough to wear a cross around your neck. Madonna does it. Prince did it. Marilyn Manson does it. And those are the people of my day. I don't know who's doing it today. But you got to do more than wear a cross or or carry the Bible. Uh, You need to let the whole world know that you are on the Lord's side. So stand up for Jesus. Stand up for God. Amen. Hate what is evil. Cling to what what is good. And serve the Lord with gladness. Stand up for who you believe in. Stand up. For Jesus Christ. Praise God. You know these these young fellows. They probably could have stayed indoors. And they might have had that privilege. But on that occasion they had an opportunity to witness. To stand before thousands of people from all over the world. And declare their faith in the true and living God. You know, to have stayed home, they would have meant that they were cowards. But do you know what these three young men decided? They decided that whatever the cost, that they would not bow down to this image. So the heralds made their announcements. The bands and the orchestras played. The assembly and the royalty bowed down. The masses bowed down and homaged to the king. And his image. But these three young Hebrew boys stood straight as ramrods, praise God. You know, there are a number of excuses they could have given or they could have made. They could have said, well, we're in a strange land. And it wasn't written by our wise men when in Babylon, do what the Babylons do. Of course, if we were at home in Judea, we would not think of such a thing. You know, someone once said, if you, if you want to find out the worth of a man, consider how he acts. Consider how he lives or acts away from home. You know, I've seen high school graduates who do pretty well so long as they're at home. I've seen businessmen do very well so long as they were at home. I've seen military personnel do fairly well so long as they were near home. So long as they were near home. But when a fellow gets away from home, sometimes strange things happen. He falls into temptation. He deserts every principle that he was taught when he was growing up. He forgets every vow and every commitment that he ever made. But let me ask you a question How do you live when you're away from home? When you're away from your home, do you pray? Do you read your Bible? If it's Sunday, do you go to church? Listen, God has never given us the permission to abort what we may not do at home. I say it's a poor excuse. You know, we are in a strange land. We are just pilgrims. We are just passing by. This world is not our home. Our home is in heaven. We are pilgrims in a strange land. Or they might have said, everyone else is doing it. You know, my, my son, of course, you know, he's 14 and he does things. And he asked me, Dad, can I do this? And I said, no, son, I don't think you should do this. But, Dad, everyone else is doing it. And I tell him, you know, if everyone else is jumping off a cliff, will you do it? You know, these three young Hebrews could have said, you know, everyone else is doing it. Everyone else is bowing down. You know, when are we going to learn that the majority's approval of some issues doesn't make it right? You know, when Pilate faced a choice that would determine his destiny, he heeded the voice of the majority on what they ought to do with Jesus Christ. You know what the majority said? They said, crucify him, crucify him. So Pilate decided to follow their suggestion. But there was one dissenting voice and that voice was of his own wife and she said, have nothing to do with this just man. We know that Pilate went with the majority. But we also know that Pilate made the biggest error of ages when he followed to heed to that one voice. The only time the majority is right is when it's ruled by right, not by the right, but by right. Don't you decide to do something because the crowd does it. You know, look at uh, Exodus chapter 20, verse 5, and I'm going to read it. Exodus chapter 20, verse 5. It says, you shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am am a jealous God, Visiting the iniquities of the fathers upon the children of the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. Underline this verse. Mark it down. Don't ever let the multitudes dictate your conscience. Listen for that still, small voice of God. So they might have said everyone else is doing, but let me tell you, that's a sorry excuse. Then they might have said, well, it's only a one-time thing. You know, 10 minutes or so, once in a lifetime, let's do it just to please the king. Have you ever reasoned like that? Or have you ever heard people like that? You know, just one snort of cocaine won't hurt. One drink won't make a difference. One trip to the lover's lane won't get us in trouble. Listen, listen, The drunker on skid row started off with one drink. The junkie often starts with one joint. The unwed mother says it just happened one time. The AIDS victim says it was just one night of sin. You know, I had a man at a former church I used to pastor who got to know uh, a few men who were dealing drugs. And they needed someone to deliver the drugs to a certain location. And they asked him if he wanted to make some quick money. You know, this man was a good man. He he was a family man. And he agreed that he would do it just this one time. And you know what happened? He got busted. And he ended up in prison in Oklahoma for five years. One slip. One compromise. One mistake, one false move can ruin your life. Let me say that again. One slip, one compromise, one mistake, one false move can ruin your life. So there were all kinds of excuses that they could have made. But thank God that these three Hebrew boys had a backbone, something held their knees firm they would not bend, they would not bow, and they did not burn. The people on their knees without a doubt begin to whisper. Uh, By the way, let me tell you that when you come to Christ, the devil has spies watching you. Uh, People will call you all kinds of names. Uh, They may say that you've lost your marbles, and they may say that you're the geek of the week. Or they may say that you're a religious fanatic, but don't you worry about what someone says when you decide to follow Jesus. Just just worry about what the Lord has to say about you, praise God. And I'm sure that in those days the people were, were kneeling and bowing down to the image of Nebuchadnezzar. And without a doubt they looked at these three Hebrew boys. And they said, look at that, look at these three fellows who are refusing to bow, they'll be thrown into the fiery furnace. Now the people went to Nebuchadnezzar and they asked him, they said, your majesty, did you not give an order? These three young Hebrew boys that you brought from Jerusalem are not obeying. What do you intend to do about it, O king? And I can imagine the king almost speechless with rage and gesturing his commands, that those Hebrews should be brought to him. And he asked those three Hebrew boys, is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you would not bow down and worship the golden image which I set up in the plain of Dura? Oh, it's quite true, said one of those young men. Maybe it was Shadrach. I like the name Shadrach. You know, when we had my son, I... I, I was going to give him the name Shadrach, but my wife said, no, let's name him Caleb. Praise God. Without a doubt, they said, yes, it's true, king. We are not going to bow down. So Nebuchadnezzar decided to give him another chance. In fact, look at verse 15 of our text. Now I want you to Look at the answer that these three young Hebrew boys gave. Look at Daniel chapter 3 verse 16. Now I want you to notice that they didn't say that God would deliver them. They said that he was able to deliver them. Praise God. That he was able to deliver them. Now we need to be persuaded. And we need to understand that God can heal our infirmities and God can heal cancer and God can heal our sickness. But if God doesn't, we should not abandon our faith. We need to be persuaded that God can restore and God can heal our marriages. But if he doesn't, we will not bow down and throw out our faith and abandon our faith. We need to understand that that God can heal us of our infirmities of depression. But if God doesn't, we should not bow down and abandon our faith. Because sometimes God will tell us, my grace is sufficient. I wonder if we have some folks, some brothers out there who are watching me online today, who so believe God, who so trust God, that they would take that kind of stand. But the defiance of these teenagers brings us to the deliverance. Well, what happened? The king commanded these three Hebrews to be bound. Nebuchadnezzar must have feared the three and their God down deep in order to have bound them. Then he ordered them to be thrown in the fire. You know, it was seven times hotter than the normal fire. And when the soldiers carried out the execution, you know, the Bible says they got too close to the flames and they themselves were burned to death. Now Nebuchadnezzar drew close to the furnace as he could. And he looked to see what happened to the bodies of these three young men. And what do you think he saw? Indeed, he saw a strange thing that day. Not three young men cringing and withering and disintegrating in the firing furnace, not at all. In fact, he, he must have rubbed his eyes once or twice. He might have scratched his head and he counted one, two, three, four. And the Bible says that the fourth was like the Son of God. He saw four men strolling around that furnace. You see, the best place to be when you're in the fire, the best place to be when you're in the furnace and I'm talking metaphorically, the best place to be when you're going through that storm and that trial is with the fourth man because the fourth man is the one that delivers us. He is the son of God and he comes to be peace to our storm. He comes to bring us out of that furnace. He comes to give us peace and give us understanding. Not a hair was singled, not a smell of smoke upon them. They were cool in the furnace. The fourth man came to deliver them. The great shepherd in the yonder of heaven saw these three, three of his lambs that they were in trouble, and he leaped down from the right, uh, from heaven, right down to that fiery furnace. You know, I can almost hear these three young men reciting the scripture in the furnace, where the scripture says, When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned. Neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. Praise God. You see, God can take care of us when we pass through the waters. God can take care of us when we pass through the fire. God is able to take care of us if we will just stand for Jesus Christ. If we will stand for him. If we will honor him. If we will bless him. Businessman, honor God. And God will honor you. Homemaker, honor God. And God will honor you. Single adult, honor God, and God will honor you. Student, honor God, and God will honor you. Young adult, honor God, and God will honor you. What you have to do is take take a stand upon God's side. Take a stand and be on God's side. And if you have to go against the whole world, take a stand. Dare to be right. Dare to be true. Even if the whole world is doing what is unrighteous, you do what is right, what is true, and what is good before the eyes of the Lord. Take a stand for Jesus and do not bow to the things of this world. And God at the end will bless your soul. I want to pray for you. You know, we're living, as the Apostle Paul said, in perilous times. We're dealing with a pandemic, a virus that is ravaging our communities and our schools. This past Monday, the governor just made announcements about worship, about gatherings in our worship. So I want to pray for you. I want to pray that that God would bless and that he would move in our hearts and our minds. Would you bow your heads with with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, we know that we're living God in, in uncertain times. But we know that there is one thing certain and that is your love and your presence for us. That you would not forsake, that you would not leave us, that you would not abandon us, that you would be with us. And I pray for every person who is hearing this message, that God, that whatever they're struggling with, the issues that they're facing, God, that you would be with them and show them, Lord, that you are a God who loves and cares. Touch every heart and every mind. In the mighty name of Jesus, I pray. Amen and amen. Church, thank you for joining us, and God bless you.